church, I will never forget hearing the Bahamian faith teacher that you are all probably very familiar with by the name of Pastor Miles Monroe once say that the greatest indication of the success of Jesus's ministry is that he left. I'm going to say that again. The greatest indication of the success of Jesus's ministry is that he left. Now, if you're a logical, rational, analytical person like I am, trying to think through what that means and the implications, then the question that must be asked is this. If Jesus did indeed leave us, and we know that he did, this is the question. What did Jesus leave us with? What did Jesus leave us with? Or maybe the better question is, who did Jesus leave us with? If Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, if Jesus was the Messiah, if Jesus was truly who Jesus claimed to be, God in the flesh, walking among us, then who did Jesus leave us with? How is it a benefit that Jesus left us? And this is what today is all about. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Type Pentecost in the comments. Pentecost Sunday is all about what Jesus promised to send us. Jesus promises to send us in John chapter 14, verses 16. You're probably familiar with John chapter 14 because in this passage, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus goes on to say in verses 14, uh, 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. In other words, we see here the picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says is, I'm gonna send you the spirit of truth so that the spirit of truth can guide you into all truth. This is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as we like to say in our, in our tradition. Why don't you type in the comments, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. And this is the space in which Jesus sends the comforter. He says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power. How many of y'all want power? You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you something very clearly. The Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. The Holy Ghost is essential. I don't know who's watching, where you're coming from, what you're facing, how many children you have, if you're married, what, what socioeconomic background you're from, what ethnicity you are from, how you identify in terms of gender. I don't know any of that, but here's what I do know. You need the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus, you need the Spirit. And here's the good news. We have two categories of the Spirit, the indwelling and the filling. According to what we know about salvation and the miracle of salvation, we know that all believers, everyone who has placed faith and trust in Jesus is indwelt with the Spirit of God. Romans 8 puts it like this. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so recognize this, that you're not of the flesh anymore, you're of the spirit. Why? Because you've been transformed. And that's what we know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just change our outer. Jesus transforms us from the inside out by indwelling us with 
the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't typed it in yet, type in the Holy Ghost. Type it in the comments, the Holy Ghost. But we don't just believe in the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We also believe in being filled with the Spirit of God. This is why Ephesians 5 puts it like this in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I just want to say something here. Let me level set this because some of you might not have remembered this or might not have been here when we had our church anniversary service and I was talking to OG Pastor Burns. I just want to make it abundantly clear here. We are a Spirit-filled church. <laughs> We believe in the abiding power and the active presence of the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of God who does not just show up in the gifts, although the gifts are important. All of the gifts of the Spirit as outlined in the scripture are important, but here's what I want to tell you. This is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that actually causes us to live right that actually causes us to talk right, that actually causes for us to construct a life where Jesus is at the center because the Spirit testifies of Jesus. We are a Spirit-filled church, and I don't know about you, but I'm glad. I'm glad that we can stand up and shout. I'm glad that we can use all the gifts of the Spirit, but I'm also glad that we can not just talk a good game on Sunday, but we can walk the things that we're talking Monday through Saturday. I'm glad we are a Spirit-filled church church. And when we say we believe in the active presence and the abiding power of the Spirit of God, this means that every believer, every person who is watching, who has placed faith and trust in Jesus, you have transformative, supernatural power. You have something different on the inside of you. You have something amazing on the inside of you. You have someone who can empower you. Notice what it says later on in Romans chapter 8. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is what we know. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, church. You have power, church youngest to the oldest, the most outcast and marginalized to the center of society, wherever you are on these spectrums, you have power because you have the Spirit. You have the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know about you, but that's a good reason to give God praise. That's a good reason to put some hand claps in the comments because Jesus left us, but he didn't leave us alone. Jesus left us with something that can empower us to live and be and act and do like him this is what we believe about the spirit but the truth of the matter is if you're a rationalist and a logical person and, a, and, and kind of an analytical mind like me you already recognize that when we talk about the spirit even in a pentecostal context when we talk about the spirit it makes us a little nervous anybody honest enough to admit that maybe you've grown up in church your whole life Maybe you've engaged even in the gifts of the Spirit, but whenever people start talking about the Spirit, we get a little nervous, right? We've seen maybe some misrepresentations or mischaracterizations. Maybe we've seen certain things that have put us off. Maybe we've seen certain people who have abused the outward gifts of the Spirit for their own personal gain. Maybe we have been made to feel uncomfortable in a service. Maybe we haven't been given the gift of to be able to talk about the Spirit and what the Spirit does on the inside of us, we have to do three things. Write these things down. We have to first expand 
of salvation. Just want to type in the comments, expand, E-X-P-A-N-D, expand our view of salvation. What do you mean, Pastor? What I mean is, you didn't just get saved to go to heaven. You didn't just get saved to worship Jesus for all of eternity. Yes, that's a part of it, and praise God for it. But you didn't just get saved for eternity past. You got saved for the right here now. You got saved not just as the old saints used to say for the sweet old by and by, but for the nasty here and now. You got saved not just so that you could be able to worship Jesus in a place of no sin. You got saved so that you could deal with the sin that's already here, the sin that's in you and the sin that you see around you. You got saved and you got the spirit to expand what you can do. You have to think bigger than just salvation. You have to think sanctification. You have to think about how you live on a day-to-day -day basis. You have to think about the fact that the Spirit empowers us to talk about justice. The Spirit empowers us to talk about racism. The Spirit empowers us to talk about sexism and misogyny. That the Spirit of God empowers us to deal with whatever we face in our world. And too many of us are content with just having a Sunday morning Christianity where we say, I've believed in Jesus, so I'm good for the rest of my life. I, I'll, I'll be in heaven. No, what about bringing heaven here? What about saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We have to expand our salvation. I, I, need, to, I need to move on because I'll keep going there. But number two, we must expose our own misconceptions. Type expose in the comments. E-X-P-O-S-E, expose our own misconceptions. And these are the things that we have been led to believe because of abuses of the Holy Spirit. The problem is not with the Spirit of God. The problem is with those who seek to use the Spirit for their own gain. The problem is not with the power of God. It's for those that, you, that seek to prosper and use the Spirit of God to build themselves up in a natural, earthly, human sense. We must expose our own misconceptions and we must, number three, expel our fears. Type expel in the comments. E-X-P-E-L. I'm going to keep you typing today, I promise. We must expel our fears. The Spirit of God is not someone to be feared. The Spirit of God is someone to understand, to believe in, to trust in. And yes, to have the faith that that same Spirit of God is capable and able of empowering you have to do this. We must expand our salvation. We must expose our misconceptions. We must expel our fears. And church, I'm telling you, especially for my younger crew, for the millennials, for the Gen Z, I grew up in this church seeing builders and boomers and Gen Xers encounter the Spirit of God. Not perfectly, but encounter and believe in and activate the Spirit of God. But for those of you who may be new to the faith or younger in the faith, I just want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit is not ancillary or secondary. The Holy Spirit is essential. So when we talk about this person of the Trinity, we must lean in, not run away. Don't cower in fear, but stand in boldness and know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Will you lift up your hands right now? We're going to continue on, but before we get into this, I just want to establish that we are giving free reign to the Holy Spirit to come in and transform our lives. Lift up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you have given us your spirit, that it is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And now, God, we ask that you would give us a greater understanding of what the spirit can do, can keep us from, and can strengthen us to do in us. 
We thank you. We praise you for sending another, the comforter, God. Now may we understand with open hearts, expanded salvations, exposed misconceptions, and expelled fears. In Jesus' name, someone type amen, amen, amen. Okay, so the passage of scripture that we're dealing with is Acts chapter 2. And this is the fifth book um, in the canon in the New Testament. And what we see here is that in Acts chapter 2, this is right after Jesus has ascended, right after he rose and revealed himself to the disciples and after he ascended. And this is what the text says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and I'll read to uh, verses 1 through 6 here. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, a mighty rushing wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated them and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them or gave them utterance. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So this is what we see here, that the Spirit shows up in Pentecost when they're all in one place on one accord. And what's so powerful about this is Peter then goes and preaches and he preaches a message quoting first Joel 2 that in the last days the Spirit will pour out, uh, the Father will pour out the Spirit upon all flesh. And then it says in here, he says that your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And because of the sermon that Peter preaches, starting with this prophetic utterance in Joel chapter 2, thousands of people, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. It's a powerful moment. But I believe that Pentecost has four things to teach us about today. Four things to give a representation to what should be happening within our churches, what should be happening in our faith spaces. The first of which is this. It's found in Acts chapter 2, the first two verses. And specifically in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If you know the King James and grew up on it, you would know that it says they were all in one accord in one place. Here's what Pentecost proves. Number one, Pentecost proves that unity is essential. Unity is essential. Type unity in the comments. It is interesting here that what it says and the descriptor that it gives about these men is that they were all together in one accord, in one place. What we see is that those who were present here were standing together unified under one mission, unified under one name, unified with one salvation, unified with one faith, unified with one baptism. And it seems here that once they are unified, then Jesus can send the comforter. Then the Father can introduce the Holy Spirit. And isn't it something, church, that we live in a divided time? We live in divided times, not just in our culture, but also in our churches. Not just in what the culture would say, the world as we like to call them, but we also live in divided times amongst the church. We also live in divided times in the Christian tradition. And what we see here is 
if we do not come together and unify over the things that we can, we will miss out on the power of God. Unity, church, invites the power of the Spirit of God. If you want to experience the power of the Spirit of God in our church, unity is not secondary, it is essential. Unity cannot just be ancillary, it must be at the core of everything that we do. And it doesn't mean that we all have to agree on every little thing, but it does mean that we all have to come into agreement on what Jesus has said and who we're worshiping and who we're believing in and who we're preaching and what we're proclaiming because unity will invite the power of God. Agreement is so powerful. Can you come into agreement together with what God has said? And if there's one thing I'm concerned about, that's a threat. It is not the creeping systems of this world, we can defeat and overcome them. It is not different belief systems in a pluralistic society. We can stand firm on what we believe. It is not what people are saying about us. That doesn't really matter too much to me. But if there's one thing I can tell you I'm concerned about and actively praying for, it is unity in this church. It is a church that is united under one mission, one vision, but more importantly than that, one name, one savior, one God. Do you have the unity, church? Can you come together and say, I will put aside my own preferences. I will put aside the things that may annoy me. I will put aside some of those things which may inconvenience me because it promotes the unity of the house. It's gonna be the greatest challenge of our church, not what other people say or what other people do, but what we do together. Unity invites the power of God. And what we see here is that's what Pentecost proves to us, that unity is absolutely essential. But here's something else. That, that Pentecost proves to us. It's found in, in verse 8 through verses 11, somewhere around that, that range. It's so interesting because it says here, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then it says this, it's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Ferga and Pamphylia and Egypt and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Notice here that all these people are different, but they're still unified. Here's what Pentecost proves. Pentecost proves you can't choose who God's going to pour his spirit out to. <laughs> I can't shout on this roof, okay? People don't know me like that. But what I'm telling you is, this is a shouting point if there ever were one. You can't choose who God's going to pour his spirit out to. You can't choose the type of people God is going to pour his spirit out to. You can't choose the personality of the people that God is going to pour his spirit out to. You can't choose the giftings, the callings, the purposes of the people God is going to pour his spirit out to. Here's the thing you need to know about unity. I, told, I talked about unity in point one, but here's something you need to know. Catch this. Unity is not uniformity. Just because we are unified doesn't mean we all act, think, and do the same. Just because we are all unified does not simply mean that we will all have the same personality and we have this monocultural, homogenized version of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, and I know it might offend you, but the same people who come to Jesus in tattoos, the same people that come to Jesus in locks just like mine, the same people who come to Jesus in pants sagging down lower than what you think they should, the same people who come to Jesus and they might be doing some things you 
look down upon the same people that come to Jesus and that offend you. Those are the people that God is going to pour his spirit out onto. Not just the people who look like you. Not just the people who praise and shout like you. No, he's going to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And I'm so thankful that God's going to do that. I'm so thankful that God is going to hold true to what God has said. All flesh. Pentecost proves that unity is not uniformity. But, but here's one more thing that I want to say. Pentecost proves this point. Pentecost proves that you have the power to live out what you believe. Pentecost proves that you have the power not just to believe, but to live. Acts 1-8 says, you will receive power. Jesus talking to his disciples when the Holy Spirit you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice what it says here. It says you're not just going to live a certain way and be transformed and have an internal experience. You're not just going to believe a certain way, but now you're going to live differently. And it's interesting because there's something about the spirit that unlocks power in us. There's something about the spirit that takes what's inside of us and supercharges it. I was watching a, a movie recently. It's a movie on HBO Max. And it's a movie called Those Who Wish Me Dead. Anybody seen that movie? It's an interesting movie that just came out. It's a film about a woman who's a firefighter who's played by Angelina Jolie, the very famous actress. And she's navigating trauma in her experience with wildfires. And she, she happens upon a boy who's running from a group of people who wish him dead. And so she's trying to protect him. It's very dramatic. And then there's a fire blazing and all these things. And so naturally, whenever I see movies, I ask some questions. And so I ask some questions about what does it mean? for wildfires to be so present. I was recently in California doing some study, as I said. And as a result of this, I was like, wildfires, that seems like very serious. Hurricanes are serious to us. Wildfires are serious to them. But it's interesting because I did some more study and I came to a startling realization. You wanna know this realization, church? All fires aren't bad. All fires are not as destructive as you may think that they are. There are certain fires that are actually good for the ecosystem and the environment. And there's one particular type of tree, it's called the conifer tree. Conifer trees mean cone producing trees. And these trees produce two types of cones, two types of conifers, stay with me. The first is annual cones and the seeds that are in those cones drop throughout the year, naturally. But then there's serotonous cones and serotonous cones are different than the annual cones because serotonous cones, they need a trigger to free the seeds that are on the inside of them. Serotonous cones are sealed and encapsulated through all types of weather and there are seeds that are on the inside of them until the temperature rises. And when the temperature rises, the cones get ignited and what's in them breaks open, releasing the millions of seeds that are on each and every one of them. And what we see here is after the fire comes, then the seeds sprout and create something new out of what was destroyed. After the fire comes, what's on the inside of them is unlocked. And here's what I think, church. As I get ready to close, I think Christians are a lot like serotonous cones from conifer trees. That for us to have what is on the inside of us unlocked, 
We need some fire to fall down upon us. For us to see our purpose and our, our gifts and our anointings to be actually seen in the way that God intends for the glory of God so that Jesus can be lifted high, we need some fire to fall upon us. We need some fire to fall upon our lives, fire to fall upon our gifts, fire to fall upon our talents, fire to fall upon our families, fire to fall upon our finances, fire to fall upon our future, fire on our minds. And when the fire of the Holy Spirit falls, what is on the inside of us that God has placed from eternity past to now gets unlocked. And then we can walk in what God has called for us to walk in and we can do what God has called for us to do. And what is unlocked on the inside of us is only because of the fire. So church, it's time for you to experience the unlocking of your destiny. Remember, we talk about this a lot. You can only do so through the fire of the Holy Spirit. Lift up your hands right now as we get ready to go back into worship and close out the service. Lift up your hands and receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. May the fire that falls unlock what is on the inside. Not so that you can just believe, but so you can do and live differently. May the fire of God be present in your house and your life. Not just today but for the rest of your life. God bless you, church. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. God, we worship you in the beauty of your holiness. You have been faithful, true, kind, just, and righteous. So, God, we just want to praise you. We just want to exalt you, Lord. Worthy is your name. From the inside, from the inside of me, may you delight on the inside, on the inside of me. Come fill my life from the inside, from the inside. Of me, set me on fire from the inside, from the inside of me, cause all I want is for you, for you to be glorified, for you to be
Well, hey everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I wanna pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I wanna give my life to you for real this time. I wanna follow you in everything that I say and I do, transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen, and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy, and we love you so much. Peace.